Reading this morning is Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am, shut in so, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you, Margaret. And thank you all for having me here today. <clears throat> it is always a privilege and an honor to be with you. Uh, I need to ask a question, and it's sort of rhetorical. But did anybody have trouble, which means you don't have to answer it out loud, OK? Uh, did you have trouble saying thanks be to God after hearing the words of Psalm 88? I hope so. I uh, had a little miscommunication. I was intending to read it, and the only thing that I would have added, because you did a fantastic job, your tone was spot on. Psalm 88 is a different kind of psalm, friends. I mean, one commentator called it the saddest psalm in the whole Psalter, unrelieved by a single ray of comfort, stark and lonely and pain-riddled. It's an amazing psalm. But if you open your Bible again, real fast, I want you to see this. In the introductory material, which is in the original text in several of the scrolls, what is this psalm? It was written to be a song. Do you see that? A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master. This was to be sung by the best voices in the house. And yet, it's an incredibly rough psalm. So thank you for that reading. Let me uh, ask you to just pray with me before I speak. That is my custom. <clears throat> Lord, this is your word, and we are your people. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As I say, it's a joy to be back here and to be with you. I greet you from Bellevue Presbyterian Church up in Gap, where they actually moved me up a little notch. I'm not just the assistant anymore, I'm the associate now, but really doesn't matter much. Job description, I don't think it changed one iota. Uh, friends, let's think for a minute about the Psalms. The book of Psalms is many things to us. It is exquisite poetry. It's Hebrew poetry, but many of those Psalms translate well into English. You have, I'm sure, had a chance to memorize various Psalms. Yeah, thank you. You're going to fix that or it'll drive us all crazy, ready for it to fall. There are songs, I say, it's exquisite poetry. There are songs of worship. There are powerful reminders of God's comfort. Occasionally, there's some rich theology helping us to orient our lives or reorient our lives when we have seasons of confusion or trouble. But at its core, the Psalms are prayers. These are given to us as our prayer book. Right in the middle of our Bible are words, and maybe even more importantly, patterns of words, which we can and should use in our life with God. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, is to live with God because of the blood of Christ, which we've already spoken of but we need every day to walk with God. And how we pray can be powerfully guided by the Psalms. The Psalms were Jesus' prayer book, including the words from the cross. As we move through Lent, we remember the cross constantly. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did not write that or nor create it. Came straight from Psalm 22, verse 1. As followers of Jesus, we are greatly blessed if we can use the Psalms to guide our prayer life. So today we're looking at Psalm 88, and the big idea I hope we learn, so if you need to take a rest, go ahead. It doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. But the big idea is this. Our God is ready, willing, and able to hear our prayers even when they don't sound very pretty or praiseworthy. When our prayers come from our gut and from our darkness, God still hears our cries. During Lent, we do focus on how Jesus physically and emotionally and spiritually responded to the darkness in the world in which he lived. Today, God our Father invites us to consider how we are to respond to the darkness in our world, even and especially when it touches our own lives. We're going to let Psalm 88 be our guide. How will we live in the midst of our darkness? That's the question we want to ask. Will we remember that God is near? Psalm 88 is known as a lament psalm. A lament is a fancy word for a complaint. 
Uh, it's the most common type of psalm, but it is incredibly unique. There are other psalms of sorrow. There are weeping, there are tears, but all other psalms either have in the middle or at the end a turn of hope. The psalmist either remembers to cry out to God saying, you are at work, I will trust in you. He declares that God's at work in his own heart, but not this psalm. Not Psalm 88. How did it end? My friends had become darkness. Darkness is, the, the, I think, a better way to translate it. Darkness is my only friend. That's a, that's a word of despair. Psalm 88 ends in darkness. Three times that actual word appears. Verse 6, verse 12, and then in 18. It's the last word in the Hebrew form of the, of the prayer. This is a psalm of darkness. Some people have even wondered whether it belongs in the scriptures because of how darkness, because of how hopeless it seems. It almost seems blasphemous. So you might be wondering, well, Brad, why'd you pick that to share with the people who are, you're here to bring encouragement, comfort, you're in a season, just like we are at Bellevue, I'm the associate, we don't have a senior pastor either. We are blessed to have a very godly transitional pastor and we'll, we're uh, going through the vitality stuff. So why couldn't I just bring a psalm of joy and hope and power and wonder? Well, it's really pretty clear. We all have times of darkness. And if we haven't had them yet, we will. And if we had them in the past and we're through them, it's important that we remember that we were not alone in the darkness. You know you'll have darkness. I know it. Whether you've been in people-caring ministry in the church, in the work of the church for lots of years like I have, or you're just an adult who uh, pays attention to the news the last four weeks or really since the turn of the year, you know that there's darkness. I just moved that mic. Sorry, you may want to turn me down uh, back there. You know that there's darkness in our world. It shows up when you hear about another incident of gun violence. It's happened uh, multiple times every week this year. Darkness is made evident when we consider the suicide rates which are currently off the charts. Perhaps COVID related, perhaps other issue related, but there's a lot of darkness. Darkness shows up in the face of sickness chronic pain or death. My wife and I spent, as was mentioned before, 20 years with a church and another 10 before that doing youth ministry. One of our most precious young people passed away three weeks ago yesterday of cancer at age 34. I was there when she was baptized and I was there for her funeral. That's dark. Cancer's an ugly thing. We all face death, our own and our loved ones. We face bitter defeats. Some of us are currently facing injustice. That's what darkness looks like. We may come into a dark time through loneliness or depression or rejection or some other kind of suffering. 
Through Psalm 88, God wants us to know how to pray through darkness. I encourage you, if you haven't done it, to pull out the little outline there it's, uh, that I gave to you. Uh, I'm going to move into the sermon now from the introduction. Uh, you can see that the psalm, I believe, teaches us at least four things. First, it reminds us that darkness is real. We've already hit that, but I'm going to hit it again the way the psalmist does. Then we look at darkness as showing us God's grace. Darkness is a place where God uses that to grow us as persons, uh, of our, deepening our faith. And fourth, uh, I'm going to remind us that darkness is a shadow. So let's get started. An important lesson we must grasp in all of life is the reality and the inevitability of suffering. I, I don't know about you, but I love, there's a clothing line, it's been out maybe 10 years now, 15 years, called Life is Good. They got hats and t-shirts and sweatpants, and I love that idea because I think it's true. We made reference to it today when God rested. What did he say? It's good. It's all, life is good, but... Life is hard. Suffering, which has been in the world since sin entered the world, is a part of life. We don't know exactly what the writer of Psalm 88 has gone through. We do not know who it is. But we know it's difficult. Here's a man who has been inundated with inner and outer darkness. He's got problems going on externally. Verse 8, my companions are shunning me. You ever lose a friend? You ever have your friends as a whole decide, no, you weren't invited? He's talking to God and he's saying, God, you're the one who ripped him out of my hands. When he gets to 18, he says it again. Perhaps he suffered or experienced something like Job where he lost his children and his family or some other kind of chronic pain. You can imagine the pain of that, can't you? Perhaps he's experiencing the overwhelming sorrow of death. I've been through a lot of death. This last one was brutal. I'm not done. I'm not done crying over my friend Brittany. The psalmist is definitely feeling the pain of rejection. Being rejected and cast away by people that you love, being thrown away by those closest to you, that's brutal too. Verse 8 said, the second half, you've made me a horror to them. One commentator I read said, this is a picture of someone who's sitting in the dark all alone. He's recalling the faces of his loved ones but only in his memory. As he recalls the image of their faces, he sees on their faces a look of disgust and revulsion. That's a hard pain. There are a few things in life that are tougher than that kind of rejection. It leads us to a whole nother level of darkness. The psalmist is also physically suffering. Verses 3, 4, and 5, my life draws near to Sheol. That's the grave. When do we think about the grave? When, we, when we're in pain. When we want the pain to end. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. Like the slain, I've been wounded, he's saying. 
that lie in the grave. He believes his own death is imminent. Darkness is a definite reality for him just as it is for us. And yet, in the midst of that reality, what does he do? He opens the psalm with his intentional declaration, O Lord. That's the personal name of God. That's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. What he's saying is, O my Lord, God of my salvation, this man has a relationship with God. God is his Savior. But in his heart, in the depth of what's most real to him right now, he has no sense of God's presence at all. He cannot feel the love of God. He cannot feel the care of God. He does not feel God's presence. Rather, what does he feel? Wrath. God's anger is on him. He feels like God is sweeping over him to destroy him. He feels forgotten by God, rejected by God. He feels the abandonment of God. Right in the middle, verse 9. Every day I call out to you. I spread out my hands. Where are you? He prays and he prays and he prays. He's in this relationship. He trusts, but he still suffers. And it's not been a momentary suffering for him. It's chronic. It's a long, long time. Many of us might look at this man and say, come on, guy, buck it up. Where's your faith? You can get through this. Not this man. He's crying out. The problem, our problem, is that we are prone to believe a myth. And the myth is, if I do right, if I live well, if I'm a good Christian, if I do what I know the Lord's told me to do, well, bad things will not happen to me. If you haven't been told that before, <laughs> hear it now. That's a myth. It's a lie. This psalm tells us we can do everything right, everything we ought to do, everything to live a good life, everything to be a good person. We can pray and pray and pray just like this man, calling out to God, trusting in God, and yet we can still be plunged into darkness for a long time. I want to be sure, again, pause. Like I said, with it, life is good. The scriptures, of course, teach us that there is much more than just this prayer. But we don't want to ignore this prayer. Yes, Romans 8 assures us in everything, God works for the good of those who love him. Absolutely. God has good purposes in everything. But we may go through our whole life and not ever know what those good purposes were. When we're going through darkness, we might well touch someone and we never even know we touched them and blessed them. But that only happens when God works through us, when we stay close to God. And that's what the psalmist is trying to do. It's not getting better, but day after day, I'm going to keep crying out. Job never knew why he suffered. So we need, first and foremost, to grasp this reality. Darkness is real. Let's not buy into the myth that good people shouldn't experience darkness. Otherwise, when we do experience darkness, we'll have an additional pain on top of it because we think we're not supposed to. 
There must be something extra wrong with us. So part of the message of the psalm this morning is that we can do everything God gives us to do as best we're able, and we can still experience darkness. That's the reality of darkness. Second, darkness shows God's grace. It may be hard to believe, but look at the language of this man. Look at how raw it is, how unedited it is, how uncensored it is, and remember that this is a prayer. He's talking to God, but he's not controlling his tongue. I want us to see a level of freedom in this, that the grace of God invites and allows us to speak from our pain, from our experience of darkness. Look at him. God, you don't remember me. God, you don't care about me. You put me in the lowest pit. You put your wrath on me. You've overwhelmed me. You took away my closest friend. You made me repulsive to them. God, you don't answer prayer. God, you reject me. I mean, look at that. That's just the first 14 verses. You've, done, you've tormented me. Then he turns to the, or excuse me, in the middle, he turns to the accusations. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up to praise you? Lord, why are you letting me die? I can't do what you've given me to do. Whenever we're in darkness, that becomes part of our arguing. Lord, I know you've called me to something great. I can't do it when I got to deal with this. Hmm. We're inclined to say bad words. I know you don't know any, like I don't know any bad words. Well, the psalmist says it's okay. I'm not inviting us to cuss God, no. But I am saying you speak from the depth of your heart because that's what this psalm is doing. That's our pattern in our prayer book. He's not holding back. He enters right up to the edge of blasphemy, if not even stepping over the line. When he declares, from my youth I've been afflicted and death, you've done nothing good for me. Well, that's not true. <laughs> he wouldn't have the relationship with God if he didn't know. He knows it's not true. So it's a borderline blasphemy. But he keeps going on. As a church, as church people, we often shrivel up because we think we're not supposed to pray like this. We're not supposed to feel this. We're most not supposed to talk like this. We're not supposed to unravel and lose it, especially on Sundays or Wednesday nights. And yet I think maybe sometimes that's what small groups are for, to be real, to tell our brothers and sisters, I, I don't see it right now. I don't know where God is. This psalm is in the Bible because I think God wants to teach us something bigger. Commentator uh, Derek Kidner says of this psalm that this is evidence of God's compassion and grace. The very presence of this prayer in the scriptures is a witness to God's understanding. Hear this line. God knows how men or how people speak when they are desperate. It seems pretty clear that God put this intemperate, angry, over-the-top, blasphemous-sounding rant into the Holy Scripture, His Scripture, and in doing so, He says, people of God, my people, kids, it's safe to pray like this with me. My lap is open. You can tell me your feelings. I'm still God of this man who wrote this psalm, and I'm still your father too. I am your God. I'm big enough, and I'm strong enough to hold you when you're falling apart. 
and to love you when you're at your best and when you're at your worst. God understands our weeping. He understands our anguish. He understands our tears. He's big enough and he's strong enough and he's safe enough to, for us to pour out our hearts to him. Psalm 88 is a sign of his grace, his understanding. So darkness is real, but darkness shows us his grace. Third, darkness is often the place where God uses to grow us, to shape us, and to mold our faith with depth and clarity. In 2011, a song hit the pop charts from a former American Idol winner named Kelly Clarkson. Some of you may already know, and some of you have still not ever heard of the song. That's okay. The catch line was, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I would sing it for you, but you really didn't come to church for that today. <laughs> what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's a catchy song. It can stay in your head all day. Well, maybe today, let it stay in your head because it points to something that Hebrew scholars have known for a long time that's rich and full in the scriptures. Darkness can shape us powerfully. When there are hard things, it doesn't, if it doesn't kill us, we can grow. The way the Hebrew scholars talk about it is two uh, senses or two sensibilities. First, there's the feeling that God is with us and present. We call that consolation. And then there's the feeling of the absence of God. The felt absence of God is called desolation. So again, we go through life. We have feelings of consolation. Life is good. Things we know God's with us. It's good to be in church. And then there are times of desolation. The rabbis make this point. That when we as humans think that we're in charge of our consolation and desolation, we're missing something. We think, if I have consolation, I must be doing something right. I'm going to church, the right church. I'm praying the right prayers. I'm singing the right songs. I'm reading my Bible the right way. I must be doing something right. But conversely, like the myth we saw in the last point, we think, if I'm experiencing desolation, the absence of God, I must be doing something wrong. I'm not praying enough. I'm not reading enough. I don't have enough faith. I'm making the wrong choices. God must be punishing me. So whatever line of reasoning you have, those are some of mine. I get stuck on the punishment one. I could blame my dad, but he's just another fallen human being. We're believing a myth. But the rabbis then ask the question, what if both consolation and desolation are not so much about what you're doing or what you've done, but what if both are intentional moves of God in our lives? Think about it. What did God do to the Apostle Paul the very moment that he saved him? He made him blind. And what's the symptom of blindness? Darkness. God put Paul himself immediately into darkness on purpose to shape him, to build his faith, to humble him, but also to strengthen him. What if darkness is part of God's plan? 
There's a quote there on the front of your building, uh, bulletin, I should say, from uh, Dan Allender, a counselor, a Christian counselor and pastor. God meets us in our weakness, not our strength. He comforts who? Those who mourn, not those who live above desperation. God reveals himself more often in darkness than in the happy moments of life. The story of Job can illustrate the point. You may remember that God allowed Job to go through an incredible darkness and suffering at the hands of Satan because Satan wanted Job to curse God and reject God. Job's suffering in the darkness allowed by God put him in a place of utter desolation. But he had to decide how he would relate to God. You may remember that he hung in there. Like Job, when we go through desolation, when we go through darkness, a great choice comes to us. Will I turn my back on God or will I continue to seek God? What's the core of my faith? Am I a Christian just because it feels good and just for the happy times? Or am I a Christian because God himself has shown his love to me? He's called me to himself. Jesus himself endured the darkness for the joy that was set before him. He had never felt darkness like he did when he uttered those words from Psalm 22. He had never felt forsaken. But God put joy before him, and Jesus went through it. May God put joy in front of you and me so that we can get through it too. God has allowed darkness to be a mirror to our own souls. When we're confronted with that great choice and we hold on to the darkness, it causes our faith to grow. Remember, Psalm 88 is a prayer. We're crying out to God. God of my salvation, where are you? We're staying close enough. It was written to be a song in worship that on some kind of a regular basis, we gather together with fellow Christians and we remember we live in a dark world. And it's okay to cry out, say, Lord, where are you? Where are you? Why'd you take our pastor when you did? New York didn't need him. Well, maybe they did. <laughs> New York's a little bit darker than Kennett, in my opinion, but <laughs> that's just one level. But I can look out and I can see you all know this. God wants your faith to grow. He might be giving you a dark time. It's okay. Don't leave him. Cling to him. Just like the psalmist in 88. This psalm, by the way, is not someone deconstructing or abandoning their faith. It's a prayer of someone who is clinging to his faith with a fierce, open vulnerability to God. Just like Job, when Job made his correct decision, Satan was defeated. When you and I cling to God, Satan is defeated in our lives as well. When we can get through our deepest pain in prayer, we can move maybe from Psalm 88 to Psalm 73. You don't have to turn there, but jot it down. Psalm 73, 25 to 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but my God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We can get to Psalm 73 through Psalm 88. 
we would experience a little bit of what Jesus might have felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. It would be logical to think that maybe he prayed Psalm 88 during that whole long night, just before he got to that great prayer that saves us. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. When we cling to God through our, through our dark times, our faith will grow. One last illustration of this point from Lord of the Rings. Those who've read it will remember a scene near the end of the book. Sam and Frodo are nearing Mount Doom. They've been through a lot. They faced a lot of horrible darkness. darkness. Tolkien writes this about how they have grown and how they've gotten stronger. But even as hope died in Sam or seemed to die, it was turned into a new strength. Sam's plain hobbit face grew stern, almost grim, as the will hardened in him. He felt through his limbs a thrill as if he was turning into stone. He's turning into some creature of stone and steel that was neither despair nor weariness, nor the endless barren nothing the endless barren miles could subdue. A picture of a growing faith. James 4.8 makes it clear. God will draw near to us when we draw near to him. Getting to point four, a little bit shorter point. Stay with me. This one really counts. Darkness is a shadow. The psalm reminds us of that. How? Because a shadow is something temporary. A shadow is created when light tries to move through, but there is a permanent real object in its way. There is something permanent that's real. The shadow is only temporary. And as the light moves, the shadow is gone. Part of the sting of darkness is the fear that it's never going to get better, that it's not temporary. The writer of this psalm was experiencing a temporary, really bad darkness. It felt to him like God had abandoned him. It felt like he was a man of sorrows. He thought he was a man of rejection. He thought he was a man who had tasted God's wrath. He thought he was a man abandoned by God and he was an innocent sufferer. Do those phrases sound familiar? Man of sorrows, man of rejection, tasted God's wrath. They're echoes of Isaiah 53. What the psalmist now knows, whoever wrote the psalm wrote it 1,000 years ago, plus 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. We can't really even date this one. But he now knows that his suffering was temporary. We know it's temporary because the psalmist is actually not describing his own real problems. What he's describing is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. What he said about that one is real. Despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom med Men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's Isaiah 53.3. On the cross, Jesus, the true, permanent, suffering servant, took the absolute darkness of Psalm 88. He drank from the real cup of God's wrath so that you and I don't have to. And because he did, the darkness we experience is only a shadow. 
It's not permanent. That's the glory of the gospel word to us this morning. Yes, darkness is real. Yes, it's hard. But when we pray with like Psalm 88 and grow in our grace, we can rest assured that our darkness is a shadow. Paul wrote it to the Corinthian church and he might as well have read it to the Kennett Square church. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That's darkness too. Where, O darkness, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Final illustration. Donald Barnhouse, pastor down at 10th Pres in Philly, in the last century, tells a story. It's a powerful story. He was dealing with his own wife's death at a young age. That's why I came across it. Barnhouse tells how he was driving with his children. They were still young. As they were driving along, a very large truck passed by. Because of the position of the sun, when the truck passed by, it cast an enormous shadow over the car. The car was filled with darkness. And then, as the car passed the truck and passed through the shadow back into the light, Barnhouse turned around and he talked to his kids. Hey, do you see that truck? Yes, Daddy. Let me ask you, would you rather be hit by that truck or by the shadow of that truck like we just were? His youngest daughter was five years old and she said, Oh, Daddy, I'd rather be hit by the shadow. Barnhouse replied, it's going to be okay for your kids, for, for mom. I want you to know that. She's going to be okay. Because Jesus was hit by the truck. So your mom only had to go through the shadow. It's a great illustration to remember when dealing with children the subject of death. Because of Jesus, there's always hope. There is always light. There is not only the story being written about your life, God's writing a greater story. No matter how deep the darkness is, no matter how great your sorrow feels right now, in your darkness, fix your eyes upon Jesus because he will be your hope in your darkness. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Please pray with me. God, we need you. As we sit in your presence this morning, I know there are some, at least a few, who are in Psalm 88 darkness. Some of us live next to someone or we're related to someone who's in Psalm 88 darkness. Help us to love you in such a way in the midst of that darkness that we could be a blessing to those around us. Help us to cling to you the same way this psalmist did, with honesty, with passion. Lord, give us wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard and then the courage to do it. Amen.